32. Air reindeer, have small herds, a well-to-do person will have 40 to 100 animals, and the wealthiest only 700, while the Chukchis with herds of 10.000 often seek the pasture of the Kolima tundra, farther west. The Samoyas of northern Siberia and Russia and the Zyrians of the Pechora River range with their large herds northward to the Yalmo Peninsula and Vagats Isle in summer, and southward in winter. See map pages 103-225. Here a herd of 50 head, which just suffices for the support of one family of four souls, requires 10 square versts, or 4.44 square miles of tundra pasturage. Hence population must forever remain too sparse ever to attain historical significance. See map page 8. The Russian Laps. 2. Lead a semi-nomadic life. Each group has a particular summer and winter settlement. The winter village is located usually inland in the Kola Peninsula, where the forests lend shelter to the herds, and the summer one near the tundra of the coast, where fishing is accessible. In winter, like the nomads of the deserts, they add to their slender income by the transport of goods by their reindeer and by service at the post stations. These nomads of the frozen north, scattered sparsely over the remote periphery of the habitable world, have lacked the historical importance which in all times has attached to the steppe nomads, owing to their central location, the broad belt of deserts and grasslands which crosses the old world diagonally between 10 degrees and 60 degrees north latitude from the Atlantic in Africa to the Pacific in Asia either borders or encompasses the old domains of culture found in river oases, alluvial lowlands or coastal plains of the torrid and temperate zones. The restless, mobile, and bound shepherds of the arid lands have never long been contained by the country which bred them. They have constantly encroached upon the territory of their better-placed neighbors, invading, conquering, appropriating their fields and cities, disturbing but at the same time acquiring their culture, lording it over the passive agriculturists and at the same time putting iron into their weaker blood. It is the geographical contact between arid steppes and moist river valley, between land of poverty and land of plenty, that has made the history of the two inseparable. Every aspect of human life in the steppes bears the stamp of mobility. The nomad tolerates no clog upon his movements. His dwelling is the tent of skin or felt as among Kalmucks and Kyrgyz, or the tent wagon of the modern boar and the ancient Scythian as described by Herodotus. This device has been contrived by them as the country is fit for it, he says, level, grassy, treeless, the temporary settlement of shepherd tribes is the group of tents, or the ancient Carago camp of the nomadic Visigoths, or the lugger of the pastoral boars, both a circular barricade or corral of wagons, constant movement reduces the impedimenta to a minimum, the Orocones, a Tungus nomadic tribe of eastern Siberia, have no furniture in their tents and keep their meager supply of clothing and utensils neatly packed on sledges, as if to start at a moment's notice. The only desirable form of capital is that which transports itself, namely, flocks and herds. Beyond that, wealth is limited to strictly portable forms, preferably silver, gold and jewels. It was in terms of these, besides their herds, that the riches of Abraham and Lot were rated in the Bible that the Israelites when traveling through the wilderness should have had the gold to make the golden calf accord strictly with the verisimilitude of pastoral life. Moreover, that these enslaved descendants of the Sheik Abraham, with their traditions of pastoral life, should have simply trekked ruptured the frail ties of recently acquired habit which bound them to the Nile soil, is also in keeping with their inborn nomadic spirit. Similar instances occur among modern peoples. 
the great trek of the South African Boers in 1836, by which they renounced not only their unwelcome allegiance to England, but also their land, was another exodus in accordance with the instinct of a pastoral people. They adopted no strange or difficult course, but traveled with their families as they were wont in their everyday life of cattle tenders, took all their chattels with them, and headed for the thin pastures of the far-reaching veldt. The Russian government has had to contend with a like fluidity in her Cossack tribes of the steppes, who have been up and off when imperial authority became oppressive. In the summer of 1878 West Siberia lost about 9,000 Kyrgyz, who left the province Semipalatinsk to seek Mongolia. Environment determines the nomadic habits of the dweller of desert and steppe. The distribution of pasture and water fixes the scope and the rate of his wandering. These in turn depend upon geographic conditions and vary with the season. The Papago Indians of southern Arizona range with their cattle over a territory 100 by 150 miles in extent, and wander across the border into Mexico, when their main water supply, derived from wells or artificial reservoirs near their summer villages, is exhausted. They migrate to the water holes, springs or streams in the cannons. There the cattle graze out on the plains and return to the cannons to drink. Every Mongol tribe and clan has its seasonal migration. In winter the heavier precipitation and fuller streams enable them to collect in considerable groups in protected valleys, but the dry summer disperses them over the widest area possible. In order to utilize every water hole and grass spot, the hotter regions of the plains are abandoned in summer for highlands, where the short period of warm fields temporary pastures and where alone water can be found. The Kyrgyz of Russian Turkestan resort in summer to the slopes and high valleys of the Altai Mountains where their alls or tent villages may be seen surrounded by big flocks of sheep, goats, camels, horses and cattle. The Pamir in the warm months is the gathering place for the nomads of Central Asia. The naked desert of Arabia yields a rare herbage during the rainy season, when the Bedouin tribes resort to it for pasturage, but during the succeeding drought they scatter to the hills of Yemen, Syria and Palestine, or migrate to the valley of the Nile and Euphrates. The Arabs of the northern Sahara followed by small flocks of sheep and goats, vibrate between the summer pastures on the slopes of the Atlas Mountains and the scant, wiry grass tufts found in winter on the borders of the desert, when the equatorial rains begin in June, the Arabs of the Etpera River follow them northwestward into the Nubian Desert, and let their camel herds graze on the delicate grass which the moisture has conjured up from the sandy soil, the country about Kassala, which is flooded during the monsoon rains by the rivers from the Abyssinian Mountains, is reserved for the dry season, in the same way the Tartar tribes of the Dnieper, Don, Volga and Ural rivers in the 13th century moved down these rivers in winter to the sea coast, and in summer upstream to the hills and mountains, so for the past hundred years the boars of the South African grasslands had migrated in their tent wagons from the higher to the lower pastures, according to the season of the year, invading even the Karoo Desert after the short summer rains. The systematic movement of nomads within their accepted boundaries leads, on slight provocation, to excursions beyond their own frontiers into neighboring territories. The growing herd alone necessitates the absorption of more land, more water holes, because the grazed pastures renew their grass slowly under the prevailing conditions of drought. An area sufficient for the support of the tribe is inadequate for the sustenance of the herd, whose increase is a perennial expansive force. Soon the pastures become filled with the feeding flocks, and then herdsmen and herds spill over into other fields, often a season of unusual drought, reducing the existing herbage which is scarcely adequate at best, gives rise to those irregular, 
temporary expansions which enlarge the geographical horizon of the horde, and eventuate in widespread conquest. Such incursions, like the seasonal movements of nomads, result from the helpless dependence of shepherd tribes upon variations of rainfall. The nomad's basis of life is at best precarious. He and one are familiar friends, a pest among his herds, diminished pasturage, failing wells, all bring him face to face with famine, and drive him to robbery and pillage. Marauding tendencies are ingrained in all dwellers of the deserts and steppes. Since the days of Job, the Bedouins of Arabia have been a race of marauders, they have reduced robbery to a system. Predatory excursions figure conspicuously in the history of all the tribes. Robber is a title of honor. Pliny said that the Arabs were equally addicted to theft and trade. They pillaged caravans and held them for ransom, or gave them safe conduct across the desert for a price. Formerly the Turkoman tribes of the Transcaspian steppes levied on the bordering districts, notably the northern part of Khorasan, which belonged more to the Turkomans, Yova and Gokhlan tribes of the adjoining steppe than to the resident Persians, the border districts of Herat, Kiva, Merv and Bukhara used to suffer in the same way from the raids of the Tex, till the Russians checked the evil. The Tex had depopulated whole districts, invaded Persian towns of considerable size, and carried off countless families into slavery. Both Turkomans and Kyrgyz tribes prior to 1873 raided caravans and carried off the travelers to the slave markets of Bukhara and Samarkand. See map page 103. Among these tribes no young man commanded respect in his community till he had participated in a baranda or cattle raising. For centuries the nomadic hordes of the Russian steppes systematically pillaged the peaceful agricultural slavs who were threatening to encroach upon their pasture lands. The sudden, swift descent and swift retreat of the mounted marauders with the booty into the pathless grasslands, whither pursuit was dangerous, their tendency to rob and conquer but never to colonize, involved Russia in a long struggle, which ceased only with the extension of Muscovite dominion over the steppes. All the Saharan tribes are marauders, whether Arabs, Berber Tuaregs, or Negroid Tibus, the desert has made them so. The Tuaregs are chronic freebooters, they keep the Sahara and especially the caravan routes in constant insecurity. They stretch a cordon across these routes from Gautams and Ghat in the east to the great oases of Insala and Twat in the west, and from the oases and hills forming their headquarters they spread for pasturage and blackmail over the desert. They exact toll over and over again from a caravan, provide it with a military escort of their own tribesmen, and then pillage it on the way. This has been the experience of Barth and other explorers. Caravans have not been their only prey. The agricultural peoples in the Niger floodplain, the commerce on the river, and the markets of Timbuktu long suffered from the raids of the Tuaregs of the Sahara. They collected tribute in the form of grain, salt, garments, horses and gold, typical needs of a desert people, imposed tolls on caravans and on merchant fleets passing down the Niger to Timbuktu. In 1770 they began to move from the desert and appropriate the fertile plains in the northern part of the Niger Valley, and in 1800 they conquered Timbuktu, but soon they had to yield to another tribe of pastoral nomads, the Fulbis from the Senegal, who in 1813 established a short-lived but well-organized empire on the ruins of the Tuareg Dominion. See map page 105. The other agricultural states of the Sudan have had the same experience. The Tibus predatory nomads of the French Sahara just north of Lake Chad and the River Yo, mounted on camels and ponies, cross the shrunken river in the dry season and raid Bornu for cattle, carry off women and children to sell as slaves, pillage the weekly markets on the Yo, 
and plunder caravans of pilgrims moving eastward to Mecca. Nowhere can desert nomads and the civilized peoples of agricultural plains dwell side by side in peace. Raids, encroachments, reprisals, finally conquest from one side or the other is the formula for their history. See math page 487. The Raided Territory. If a modern civilized state organizes its border communities into a native mounted police, as the English have done in Bornu, Sokoto and the Egyptian Sudan, and as the Russians did with their Cossack riders along the successive frontiers of Muscovite advance into the steppes, or it takes into its employ, as we have seen, the nearest nomad tribes to repress or punish every hostile movement beyond. Among the ancient states the method was generally different, since the nomad invaders came with their flocks and herds, a barrier often sufficed to block their progress. For this purpose Sesostris built the long wall of 1500 stadia from Pelusium to Heliopolis as a barricade against the Arabians. Ancient Carthage constructed a ditch to check the depredations of the nomads of Numidia. The early kings of Assyria built a barrier across the plains of the Euphrates above Babylon to secure their dominion from the incursions of the desert Medes. In the 5th century of our era, the Red Wall was constructed near the northern frontier of Persia as a bulwark against the Huns. It stretched for 150 miles from the Caspian Sea at the ancient port of Abascan eastward to the mountains, and thus enclosed the populous valley of the Gurjan River. In remote ages the neck of the Crimean Peninsula was fortified by a wall against the Eruptions of the Taurusithians. The Russians early in their national history used the same means of defense against Tartar incursions. One wall was built from Pensa on the Sura River to Simbirsk on the Volga, just south of Kazan, another further strengthened by a fosse and palisades, extended from the fortress of Tsaritsyn at the southern elbow of the Volga across the 50-mile interval to the Don, and was still defended in 1794 by the Cossacks of the Don against the neighboring Kyrgyz hordes, the classic example of such fortifications against pastoral nomads, however, is the Great Wall of China. The nomad is economically a herdsman, politically a conqueror, and chronically a fighter. Strife over pasturage and wells meets us in the typical history of Abraham, Lot and Isaac, it exists within and without the clan. The necessity of guarding the pastures, which are only intermittently occupied, involves a persistent military organization. The nation is a quiescent army, the army a mobilized nation. It carries with it a self-transporting commissariat in its flocks and herds, constant practice in riding, scouting and the use of arms. Physical endurance tested by centuries of exertion and hardship. Make every nomad a soldier. Cavalry and camel corps add to the swiftness and vigor of their onslaught. Make their military strategy that of sudden attack and swifter retreat. To be met only by weariness and extreme mobility. The ancient Scythians of the lower Danubian steppes were all horse archers. Like the Parthians. If the Scythians were united, there is no nation which could compare with them or would be capable of resisting them. I do not say in Europe. But even in Asia, said Thucydides, in this opinion Herodotus concurred, the nomad's whole existence breeds courage, the independent, hazardous life of the desert makes the Arab the bravest of mankind, but the settled, agricultural Arab of Egypt and Mohammedan Spain lost most of his fighting qualities, the daily life of a nomad horde is a training school for military organization, in the evening the flocks and herds are distributed with system around the camp to prevent confusion. The difficult art of a well-ordered march, of making and breaking camp, and of foraging is practiced almost daily in their constant migrations. The usual order of the Bedouin march could scarcely be surpassed by an army. In advance of the caravan moves a body of armed horsemen, 
five or seven kilometers ahead, then follows the main body of the tribesmen mounted on horses and camels, then the female camels, and after these the beasts of burden with the women and children, the encampment of tents with the places for men, arms and herds is also carefully regulated, more than this, the horde is organized into companies with their superior and subordinate leaders, John de Carpini describes Gen Hai's Khan's military organization of his vast Tartar horde by tens, hundreds and thousands, his absolute dominion over his conquered subjects, and prompt absorption of them into his fighting force, by the compulsory enlistment of soldiers out of every freshly subjugated nation, in the same way the Hebrew tribes, when preparing for the conquest of Canaan, adopted from the desert Midianites the organization of the horde into tens, hundreds and thousands under judges, who were also military leaders in time of war. Thus certain geographic conditions produce directly the habitual and systematic migration of the nomads, and through this indirectly that military and political organization which has given the shepherd races of the earth their great historical mission of political consolidation, agriculture, though underlying all permanent advance in civilization, is handicapped by the lack of courage, mobility, enterprise and large political outlook characterizing early tillers of the soil. All these qualities the nomad possesses. Hence the union of these two elements, imperious pastor superimposed upon peaceful tiller, has made the only stable governments among savage and semi-civilized races. The politically invertebrate peoples of dark Africa have secured the backbone to erect states only from nomad conquerors. The history of the Sudan cannot be understood apart from a knowledge of the Sahara and its peoples. All the Sudanese states were formed by invaders from the northern desert. Hamitic or Semitic. See map page 487. The Galorwadhuma herdsmen of East Africa founded and maintained the relatively stable states of Uganda, Katara, Karagway, and Uzinsa in the equatorial district. The conquerors remained herders while they lorded it over the agricultural aborigines. In prehistoric times when the various peoples of the Aryan linguistic family were spreading over Europe and Southern Asia, the superiority of the shepherd races must have been especially marked because in that air only the unobstructed surface of the steppes permitted the concentration of men on a vast scale for migration and conquest. Everywhere else regions of broken relief and dense forests harbored small, isolated peoples, to whom both the idea and the technique of combined movement were foreign. The rapidity and wide scope of such conquests is explained largely by the fact that nomads tried to displace only the ruling classes in the subjugated territory, leaving the mass of the population practically undisturbed. Thus they spread themselves thin over a wide area. How lasting are the results of such conquests depends upon the degree of social evolution attained by the herdsmen. Genhai's Khan and Tamerlane, after the manner of overlords, organized their conquered nations, but left them under the control of local princes, while their tribute gatherers annually swept the country like typical nomad marauders. The Turks are still only encamped in Europe. They too make taxation despoliation and though their dominion has produced no assimilation between victor and vanquished, it has given political consolidation to a large area occupied by varied peoples. The Hyksos conquest of Egypt found the Nile Valley divided into several petty principalities under a nominal king. The nomad conquerors possessed political capacity and gave to Egypt a strong, centralized government, which laid the basis for the power and glory of the 18th dynasty. The Tartars in 1279 AD and the Manchus in 1664 conquered China, extended its boundaries, governed the country as a ruling class, and left the established order of things undisturbed. 
the Saracen conquest of North Africa and Spain showed for a time organization and a permanence due to the advanced cultural status of the sedentary Arabs drawn into the movement by religious enthusiasm. The environment of Spain tended to conserve the knowledge of agriculture, industry, architecture, and science which they brought in and which might have cemented Spaniard and Moor, had it not been for the intense religious antagonism existing between the two races. The history of nomad conquerors shows that they become weakened by the enervating climate and the effeminating luxury of the moist and fertile lowlands. They lose eventually their warlike spirit, like the Flatower Fulby founders of the Sudanese states, and are either displaced from their insecure thrones by other conquerors sprung from the same nomad breeding steppe, as the Aryan princes of India by the Mongol emperor, and the Saracen invaders of Mesopotamia by the victorious Turkomans or they are expelled in time by their conquered subjects, as the Tartars were from Russia, the Moors from Spain, and the Turks from the Danube Valley. Nomad hordes unite for concerted action to resist encroachment upon their pastures, or for marauding expeditions, or for widespread conquest, but such unions are from their nature temporary. Though a career of conquest may be sustained for decades, the geographically determined mobility which facilitates such concentration favors also dispersal decentralization. This is the paradox in nomadism. Geographic conditions in arid lands necessitate sparse distribution of population and of herds. Pastoral life requires large spaces and small social groups. When Abraham and Lot went to Canaan from Egypt, the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great. Strife for the pasturage ensued between their respective herdsmen, so the two sheiks separated. Lot taking the plains of Jordan and Abraham the hill pastures of Hebron, Jacob and Esau separated for the same reason. The encampment of the Kiagai shepherds rarely averages over five or six tenths, except on the best grazing grounds at the best season of the year. The flow of spring, well or stream also helps to regulate their size. The groups of Mongol yurts or felt tents along the Piedmont margin of the Gobi vary from four tenths to a large encampment, according to a water and grass. Privilshki mentions a population of 70 families or 300 souls in the Lodnor district distributed in 11 villages, or less than 28 in each group. Barth noticed the smallness of all the oasis towns of the Sahara, even those occupying favorable locations for trade on the caravan routes. The nature made necessity of scattering in small groups to seek pasturage induces in the nomad a spirit of independence. The Bedouin is personally free. The power of the sheik is only nominal and depends much upon his personal qualities. The gift of eloquence among the ancient Arabs has been attributed to the necessity of persuading a people to whom restraint was irksome. Political organization is conspicuously lacking among the Tibis of the Sahara and the Turkoman tribes of the Transcaspian steppes. We are a people without a head, they say. The title of Sheik is an empty one. Custom and usage are their rulers. Though the temporary union of nomadic tribes forms an effective army, the union is short-lived. Groups form, dissolve and reform, with little inner cohesion. The Boers in South African grasslands showed the same development. The government of the Dutch East India Company in Cape Colony found it difficult to control the wandering cattlemen of the interior plateau. They loved independence and isolation, their dissociative instincts, bred by the lonely life of the thin pastured veldt, were overcome only by the necessity of defense against the Bushmen. Then they organized themselves into commandos and sullied out on punitive expeditions, like the Cossack tribes of the Don against marauding Tartars. Scattered over wide tracts of pasture land, they were exempt from the control of either Dutch or English authority, 
but when an energetic administration pursued them into their widespread ranches, they eluded control by trekking. Here was the independent spirit of the steppe, reinforced by the spirit of the frontier. Though the desert and steppe had bred conquerors, they are the last parts of the earth's surface to yield to conquest from without. The untamable spirit of freedom in the shepherd tribes finds an ally against aggression in the trackless sands, meager water and food supply of their wilderness. Pursuit of the retreating tribesmen is dangerous and often futile. They need only to burn off the pasture and fill up or pollute the water holes to cripple the transportation and commissariat of the invading army. This is the way the Damaras had thought the German subjugation of southwest Africa. Moreover, the paucity of economic and political possibilities in deserts and grasslands discourages conquest. Conquest pays only where it is a police measure to check depredations on the bordering agricultural lands, or where such barren areas are transit lands to a desirable territory beyond. It is chiefly the gates of Herat and the lure of India which have drawn Russian dominion across the scorched plains of Turkestan. France has assumed the big task of controlling the Sahara to secure a safe pass while between French Tunisia and the rich Niger basin of the French Sudan. The recent British-Egyptian expansion southward across the Nubian steppes had for its objective the better watered districts of the Upper Nile above Khartoum. This desert advance is essentially a latter-day phenomenon. The outcome of modern territorial standards, it is attended or secured by the railroad. To this fact the projected Trans-Saharan line is the strongest witness. Nature everywhere postpones, obstructs, jeopardizes the political conquest of arid lands. The unstable, fanatical tribesmen of the Egyptian Sudan, temporarily but effectively united under the Mahdi, made it necessary for Kitchener to do again in 1898 the work of subjugation which Gordon had done 30 years before. The body of the Arabian people is still free. The Turkish sovereignty over them today is nominal rather an alliance with a people whom it is dangerous to provoke and difficult to attack. Only the coast provinces of Hijaz, Yemen and Hesse are subject to Turkey, while the tribes of the interior and of the southeastern seaboard are wholly independent. The Turkoman tribes of Transcaspia have been subordinated to Russia largely by a process of extermination. China is satisfied with a nominal dominion over the roaming populations of Mongolia and Chinese Turkestan. The French pacification and control of Northwest Africa meets a peculiar problem. Due to the extreme restlessness and restiveness of the dominant Arab race, the whole population is unstable as water, a disturbance or movement in one tribe is soon communicated to the whole mass. The steppe or desert policy for the curtailment of nomadism, and the reclamation of both land and people is to encourage or enforce sedentary life. The French, to settle the wandering tribes on the Atlas border of the Sahara, have opened a vast number of artesian wells through the agency of skillful engineers, and thus created oases in which the feet and sands support abundant date palm groves. The method pursued energetically by the Russians is to compress the tribes into ever-narrowing limits of territory, taking away their area of plunder and then so restricting their pasture lands, that they are forced to the drudgery of irrigation and tillage. In this way the Yovuts and Gutlands occupying the Caspian border of Transcaspia have been compelled to abandon their old marauding, nomadic life and become to some extent agriculturists. The method of the Chinese is to push forward the frontier of agricultural settlement into the grasslands, dislodging the shepherd tribes into poorer pastures. They have thus reclaimed for grain and poppy fields considerable parts of the Ordos country in the great northern bend of the Huanho, which used to be a nursery for nomadic invaders. A similar substitution of agriculture for pastoral nomadism of another type has in recent decades taken place in the semi-arid plains of the American West. 
sheep grazing on open range was with difficulty dislodged from the San Joaquin Valley of California by expanding farms in the 60s. More recently, dry farming and scientific agriculture adapted to semi-arid conditions have pushed the desert off the map in Kansas and advanced the frontier of tillage across the previous domain of natural pastures to the western border of the state. Pastoral nomadism has been gradually dislodged from Europe, except in the salt steppes of the Caspian Depression, where a vast tract, 300.000 square miles in area and wholly unfit for agriculture, still harbors a sparse population of Asiatic Kalmuk and Kyrgyz hordes, leading the life of the Asiatic steppes, in Asia, too. The regions of pastoral nomadism have been curtailed, but in Africa they still maintain for the most part the growing, expanding geographical forms which they once showed in Europe, when nomadism prevailed as far as the Alps and the Rhine. In Africa shepherd tribes cover not only the natural grasslands, but lap over into many districts destined by nature for agriculture. Hence it is safe to predict that a conspicuous part of the future economic and cultural history of the Dark Continent will consist in the release of agricultural regions from nomad occupancy and dominion. Though agriculture is regarded with contempt and aversion by pastoral nomads and is resorted to for a livelihood only when they lose their herds by a pest or robbery, or find their pasture lands seriously curtailed, Nevertheless nomadism yields such a precarious and monotonous subsistence that it is not infrequently combined with a primitive, shifting tillage. The Kalmuks of the Russian steppes employ men to harvest hay for the winter feeding. The Novi Tartars practice a little haphazard tillage on the alluvial hem of the steppe streams. Certain Arab tribes living east of the Etbra and Dash rivers resort with their herds during the dry season to the fruitful region of Kassila, which is inundated by the drainage streams from Abyssinia and there they cultivate dirt and other grains. The Bechuana tribes inhabiting the rich, streamless grassland of the so-called Kalahari Desert rear small herds of goats and cultivate melons and pumpkins. Among the other Bechuana tribes on the eastern margin of the desert, the men hunt, herd the cattle and milk the cows, while the women raise dura, maize, pumpkins, melons, cucumbers and beans. Compare maps pages 105, 487. Such supplementary agriculture usually shifts with the nomad group, but where high mountains board, 